Common sense is not so common. And in an era where global uncertainty is rampant and government is out of control, this is the show making sense of all the madness. Broadcasting live from the Arizona desert, you can't dodge the Hodge. Here's your host, Dave Hodges. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on the Common Sense Show guest segment. Thanks for staying with us through our intro. And uh, we're really glad to be with you. And as you know, we're still the show that's freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. And if you didn't catch my name again, it's Dave Hodges. And if this is your first time here, you're in for a treat. Not because of what I do, but because of the quality guests and the important topics that we get our guests to talk about. And uh, there's not many sites like mine. Uh, We have some really good people out there. Uh, in the independent media, but there's not a lot of really good people out there. So, you know, you got to go to where you get the information. So thanks for coming here, and we hope we don't disappoint you. Hey, we've got to pay some bills, and uh, we bring products uh, to our show that we think people are going to need, and namely food and water filtration is really where we're centering right now. Preparewithdave.com is what we call our food service, which is really MPS, $100 off the four-week package, we're having people order multiple sets to try to get to that two-year limit that we say people really need to reach. And Bob Griswold, a good friend of mine, has said two years. A lot of our experts are saying two years. And uh, we're hoping that you'll get there. If you don't, just do what you can do. But whatever you accumulate now, you're going to be able to last that much longer and stay independent of being off the streets, having to go to the government for food, because all bets are off when you got to go to the government for food, and bad things can happen. So we want to encourage you to get started. Restaurant quality food, no glyphosates, no GMOs, 25-year shelf life. Go to preparewithdave.com. That's preparewithdave.com. And if you have food, you got to have water. And we have water filtration, the Aquapure Pro water filter. The research on our site says they're the best there is. They compare themselves to their competitors. You can check that out at waterwithdave.com. They're also offering 40% off for their product while supplies last. That's right, 40% off. For this great water filter and remember the naval war college says in the fifth day of a major crisis waterborne illnesses become the number one cause of death and they were referencing emps but it goes across the board so we really want you to be armed with food and water filtration because you won't have trouble finding standing water you'll have trouble finding drinkable standing water and we want to help you with that so you've got prepare with prepare prepare with dave.com for the food water with dave for the for the water and now we have our guest. We have a terrific guest for you. Her name's Daisy Luther. She's been on the show before, and she's recognized as one of the great survival experts uh, in the country, in the United States, and, and really probably internationally, too. She's got great writers at her site. They cover important topics that you need to know, namely how we get through these crazy times, because we have changed, in my estimation, from uh, living our lives to where we're really in survival mode right now based on what is and what could be coming. And we're going to ask Daisy to address all that. Daisy, thanks for joining us. It's such a pleasure to have you back on the show. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. It's always fun talking with you. Yeah, well, do, do you agree with my assessment that we're shifting into survival mode out of necessity? Definitely, definitely. We're in some very strange times right now. Um, You know, so much has changed. Our access to supplies has changed. Uh, The anger is really ramping up. Um, Like, it's just, it seems unprecedented. At least in my lifetime, this is unprecedented. It it, it truly is. Um, 
you know, I was a, largely a kid through most of the Vietnam War, and uh, I thought the protest then in America was really kind of coming apart at the seams. I, I remember as a kid watching the Chicago Convention in 1968 and, and all the confrontation there, and I thought, well, that's really bad. And I'm thinking those are the good old days compared to now. Yeah, yeah. That was like peace, love, and rock and roll in comparison. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. It, but, but I have never seen a time like this. And uh, my un, one of my undergraduate degrees is in history. And I can tell you, America has never experienced this kind of discord. I mean, the reason the South withdrawal from the Union was pretty uniform, and it was largely along economic and states' rights issues, but there wasn't all this going on. There was bleeding Kansas, and that was about it. But the South just said as a bulk one day, well, we've had enough. You've done too much to us. We're now seceding, and they fired on Fort Sumter. But they didn't have all that's going on now. They didn't have this pandemic. They didn't have the... Uh, riots in the streets that they're calling protests and the police are being made to stand down and no one was defunding law enforcement then i mean this is nuts yeah it's really crazy it is um i think that we really have to recognize that all the rules are changing in what way um, this is something that Selco, one of our writers, talks about a lot. Um, if some of your guests don't know who Selco is, he um, survived the Balkan War. He lived in a city under siege for almost two years with no power, no supplies, no running water, and snipers on the mountains all around. And, you know, he survived that. And one of the things that he talks about is when it's really hitting the fan, the rules change completely. They're not the same rules that we have in normal times. And he says the faster that you can recognize that the rules are changing and adapt to that, the better off you're going to be. For example, um, one story he tells was after everything really broke loose there, um, some police officers in a police car came to an apartment building and the people in the apartment building were so happy to see them because they've been watching people getting shot in the streets for the the past three days they were like oh thank goodness the police are here well the police took all their stuff and killed them too because they didn't recognize that the rules had changed and that the police were for sale for hire or they were being gangs themselves Exactly. That's that's what it was. It was the latter. And, you know, this isn't a statement on police or anything. This is just an example of how what you think is normal is no longer normal. Like, for example, in a lot of places, you can't call 911 now and get a reasonable response time. Um, it's taking hours to get somebody there to help you with with some kind of thing, um, unless it's violent. They're saying that they still respond quickly to violent crimes, but not so quickly to other types of crimes. I I'm, wouldn't want to bet my life on that. I'm hearing from people in Seattle that reach out to me that are afraid to speak out publicly. And uh, I've also heard from a couple from Portland that, it, that the 911 response to anticipated violence, someone's breaking into my home, the police are not responding to those calls. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm hearing that. I, I probably have eight to ten emails along those lines. And, you know, you can kind of get a sense, Daisy, as you know, when you look at when people send you things and, and you can tell, hey, they're just regular people and they're saying, I don't know what to do, I don't feel safe, I don't have the money to move, you know they're real. You know they're telling you the truth. Right, and when you get the same story again and again from people in an area, that's, you know, it just lends even more credibility. How, how has the COVID-19 phenomena 
and the related lockdowns and all the meaningless restrictions that have nothing to do with the spread of a virus, like wearing a face mask inside your car when you're by yourself. Uh, how has all this affected your work at, at the Organic Prepper? Um, honestly, I have tried to stay away from the controversial stuff because I feel like I can provide people with information. This is just prime time for getting people more prepped is the way I'm looking at it. So okay. I'm trying to stay away from the argument about, you know, masks versus no masks. Um, I can't think what, what is the name of that drug? I can't think of it. Oh, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. I try to stay away from that stuff and I try to focus on the, the actions that you can perform, the, the steps that you can take right now. And, you know, those apply to everyone across the board. So I'm going to say right now, this isn't affecting my website negatively because I decided to focus elsewhere. I decided to focus on action items. But I absolutely agree that wearing a mask inside your car is the most it actually is not the most ridiculous wearing a mask on a zoom meeting that's the most ridiculous i've seen did you see that i did in wisconsin the state officials and yes. they even said it's to show <laughs> compliance i couldn't believe they said in the memo they said it's important for us to set the example of showing compliance compliance to what illegitimate authority idiocy yeah i, I, <laughs> I know just, yeah I I mean, just, i'm um, not on board with any of that I know, I, I, I just, you know, I have, and by the way, to say this publicly, my YouTube channel has been demonetized, and all I've done in the last 24 hours was play a recording of Millie Weaver from jail talking about her conditions, and I was pretty neutral on her. I just said, well, this is what they do in black sites for the CIA. They leave the lights on. A, and then the other thing I talked about was using Fauci's words. I used Fauci's words, the statements of the CDC director, Redfield, where he said we need to stop the isolation. And I said, uh, YouTube uh, didn't like it. They don't like me quoting their officials uh, publicly. And uh, they've taken action against me. So you might be wise to be doing what you're doing. I expect tomorrow that, uh, you know, I have an AdSense account on my website. Um, and it's doing quite well. But YouTube has said, or not YouTube, but Google has said they're going to come along and take away AdSense for controversial content. In other words, if you're conservative, they're taking you down. And I expect right. that to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow's the operational date. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen in political season. Um, they didn't act against my channel, though, because uh, Trump has that executive order. You can't censor content, but they can censor right. monetization. Um, I know. And what a lot of people don't understand is how expensive it is to keep things like this running. Like, I, I spend a lot of money on security and, um, you know, writers because I want to bring the best writers and I want to pay them fairly. And people think that I'm just sitting here raking it in off my website, but that's not the case. The, the expenses are very, very high. And the more it grows, the higher they get. So... You know, you can you can really be shut down, even though they say, "Oh no, we're letting you still be on the air." You can really be shut down when they take away your money. Yeah, exactly. Um, I sell other things on YouTube. I mean, uh, private contracted stuff, commission sales mostly, and uh, so it's not like I'm totally without revenue. But we took a big hit today, and uh, it's just because I said something not inappropriate. Not, I didn't say there's a miracle cure for for uh, the COVID virus and. And I, and I recognize it does attack certain segments of our population, but not everybody. That's a big myth. And that's mm -hmm. out of the CDC. They, they tell you right there that, hey, this affects people. 
who are elderly, who have compromised health conditions with their immune system. In other words, they're already dying from something else and COVID's an add-on. And, uh, and they, they're real clear about that, but you can't say that because YouTube will say, well, that's not the narrative we want to spread. We want to spread the fear narrative so people will do exactly as they're told. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's very, very sad. And the censorship's just going to continue to increase. Zero Hedge, I believe, lost their monetization was it last month? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, that's big. Well, yeah. I was told I'm one of the last, I was one of the last men standing of the stuff I do on YouTube. Right. I and believe they, it. And they said, that's because you have a clean channel. You take their words and dissect them. And uh, that's a popular tactic I use. And I guess they'd had enough. So, uh, you know, but that's something too. And here's where I think you need to be worried. Um, they had the frontline doctors came out and they said, hey, look, this, these are valid treatments, and the reason they don't want these valid treatments out there is because they can't mandate a vaccine if there are other valid treatments. And right. uh, that's why these frontline doctors came out, and they all got fired. Um, they all had their websites taken away. Google threatened the website host uh, companies. If you don't do this, we're going to go after you in other ways. And then right. they, they, were, they were taken off all social media. So we all need to be worried about our websites because Google has a far reach. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I think that if you're not backing up offshore, you're making a big mistake. What do you mean by backing up offshore? Um, like a mirror site that you can put up if your site gets taken down. So just basically all of your content gets mirrored elsewhere and um, it would be outside the reach of the United States. Okay. You, you and I are going to communicate about that privately. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, well, because well, sure. well, I don't want you to compromise yourself, but privately, I would oh, I would appreciate some advice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to compromise myself. I have been, um, again, with the money, spending a lot of money to make sure that my content is still available. Yeah, we're uh, we're going to download our YouTube videos to private server, which I'm allowed to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're not scraping YouTube. If you're listening, we're doing it manually. Um, but what are you telling people about the times we live in? I mean, we have lockdowns, a failing economy, uh, ignoring the Constitution so your civil liberties are all but gone. They, they decide what rights you're going to have. Then that's the governors. Uh, we have extreme corruption associated with this. And then we have the riots in the street and the police won't respond or are not allowed to respond. So what are you telling people they should do? Are we moving towards uh, what Selko's written about with Bosnia 1992? I mean, it really seems like there's some balkanization going on, doesn't it? It does. It feels that way. Um, what I talk to people about is focusing on the things that you can actually have some some effect on. Good. There are so many things that we we can't do. Like, you know, we really can't do a whole lot about these government mandates. We can argue about it. We can, you know, civilly disobey. But in the grand scheme of things, we can't effect massive change that way. What we can do is we can focus on our smaller circles and we can get our families more prepared and our friends more prepared. We can work on our gardens and we can work on our production and we can do things like that. So this is another circleism: small circle things versus big circle things. Okay, and I, I understand what you're saying here, but let's be a little more specific. I understand okay. the idea of gardens, okay? Yep. And that's more practical for some people than others, depending on where they live and their climate and so forth. 
So Absolutely. what other things do you suggest? Uh, and, and include gardening too, but I mean, generally, right. what's the laundry list that you're telling people in these troubled times they need to be paying attention to? Well, I mean, obviously there's all of the general preparedness kind of things like um, your stockpile and your water plans that you were sort of like what you were talking about, you know, with not just stored water, but a way to consistently keep producing fresh water for your family. You need to have more long-term plans in place and you need to think about how you're going to produce instead of just consuming. And that's something I talk about a lot is that our nation is a nation of consumers and we used to be a nation of producers. So when we became a nation of consumers, we started buying everything from China. And now we aren't getting anything from China, basically. I mean, that has all but ground to a halt. And we're seeing this on every single store shelf in the country yes. um, that we no longer produce, we just consume. So what I think we need to do both big circle and small circle is focus on producing and I'm not just talking about food I'm talking about fabric I'm talking about clothing I'm talking about blankets I'm talking about tools and buildings and all of the medical supplies all of the different things that we've been buying for I don't know decades outside the country we need to bring that back home and we need to be producing it here and then in a smaller scale we need to be figuring out how to produce and meet our own needs because mm -hmm. these store shelves are not going to get that much more full I really don't think so no I agree and and here's my concern related to what you've just said what you're saying makes perfect sense but what I'm wondering how do we operationalize domesticating production of everyday items? Is it going to be the box stores or is it going to be small business? And if it's small business too, I'd say, remember, 52% of all small businesses are now gone from the beginning of COVID. Yeah, I honestly don't know the way that that will go. I hate to imagine that it's going to be big box stores, but it's already shifting to that. The people who are okay are Walmart, they're Amazon, mm -hmm. um, CVS, big companies like that. They're the ones who are okay. Smaller businesses are struggling. And as you said, they may not be around. So I think we're gonna see a lot of bootstrapping, a lot of people creating businesses out of thin air with the things that they're able to produce. And maybe we won't have as many choices at the store. I mean, that's something that I, I've traveled a lot. I spent a lot of time in Europe last year. And one of the things I noticed, the big difference between our stores here and their stores there, and I'm talking like a general merchandise store, like a grocery store or a Walmart or something like that, is they have one or two cuts of beef, one or two cuts of chicken, one or two cuts of pork. We've got, you know, 30 cuts of everything if not more in our stores. So we, we are used to seeing just this ocean of food instead of just a few different things to choose from. So I think one adaptation that we can easily make is to not be so rattled by the, by the number of choices dropping down. Because as long as you've got two cuts of chicken to choose from and two cuts of beef to choose from, you still have chicken and beef. And I'm just using those as, as examples. So we're going to see 
fewer choices on everything. We're not going to have 17 brands of washcloths to choose from if we want to redecorate our bathroom. We're going to be using our washcloths until they fall apart, not changing them with the seasons. So, you know, life is going to change dramatically. But I don't think that the rest of the world has been living like the United States has been living. So I think that we may see ourselves more on par with the way that they're doing things, you know, in the Balkans, the modern Balkans, not like the war-torn Balkans. Yeah, I'm dissecting a lot of what you're saying here. My mind is running in several different directions. Right. As you said this, let me, let me just tell you what's happened with my family members. Okay. Uh, my sister lives in Colorado. I'm in Arizona, of course, and, and my wife uh, does all our food shopping, and my sister and my wife had the same experience. They go to the grocery store and they're limited on the quantity of their meat purchases. Yes, it's like rationing almost. Yes. I mean, we can still go to multiple different stores if we want to. Obviously that takes time and money to be able to go to seven different stores to get what you want to get for the week. Um, but yeah, the rationing has begun. It's just not called rationing. And I read an article, and I can't remember the source, so I'll just run this by the principal by you and see if you know anything about this. Food inflation is up three times over last year, approaching four. Do you know anything about that? I've heard that as well. Um, some of what they're doing is they're just putting less stuff in the package, so people feel like they're still getting the same amount. Um, when they're doing new packages, they're shrinking the package a yes. little bit. Um so it's not obvious to everyone. It's obvious to preppers because when I go get peanut butter, I'm putting it on a shelf with seven other jars of peanut butter. So I'm like, hey, what is this little short thing doing here? You know, so we see it, but other people don't see it. Well, my wife, she catches the details. I know I've got three decades Definitely. with her to know that, but, but uh, she catches all the details. Um, and uh, she has said, yeah, there's, but see, this factors into food inflation. Because yeah. your price for the product is the amount that you're getting or the servings you're getting, you know, divided by the price. Exactly. So, um, so therefore, that factors into food inflation. That's part of what I'm talking about. Yeah, but people aren't seeing it as, as inflation because they're not recognizing that these packages are smaller. Yeah, but that strategy is only going to work so long. You're absolutely right. And yeah. if people are still going to be hitting the wallet by it. Yeah, exactly. But, well, they're still and, raising prices. But not as much because they're doing a dual strategy that I see, raising prices plus reducing the size of the package. Yep, yep. Um, I think it's going to take a lot of people a while to catch on to what's happening, and they're really going to be confused about why their money is not going very far. You know, they're getting the same amount of money perhaps, but they're out of groceries by Thursday instead of by Saturday. Yeah, I know. That's, that's what I'm hearing too. From people I talk to that are living, you know, month to month right now, or yeah. they're, they're trying to live on the six hundred dollars that they're getting. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and there was another stat that I came across that I think really speaks to the economic desperation that's going to force us to adapt, and where your advice comes in handy. Twenty-nine percent of the people who have lost their jobs because of the lockdowns have lost their jobs again, even after they were rehired. And 26% more, according to business owners, uh, are at risk for being laid off. So that's 55% of your workforce. Yep. And 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 we and half the people in the country that are eligible to work are not working. Yep. So, so uh, uh, 
so now we kind of get into are we moving towards a black market as a compensatory way of dealing with the fact that the regular economy is not working for many? I, I think so. I think there's going to have to be. And I think bartering is going to be really, really big. And that just goes back to what I said about being a producer instead of a consumer. If you're a producer, you can barter till the cows come home. If you're a consumer, there's only so long that you're going to have stuff to barter. Yeah, I'm, I'm just letting that sink in. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard to project and predict, but don't you think that the other side, the, the people who have perpetrated these shortages upon us, real or not real, whatever, or justified or not justified, not making an argument against what's happening, but just that it's happened, don't you think these people would try to expand control over bartering, garage sales, and so forth? Oh, they absolutely will. And I, I have a theory about that if you'd like to hear well, it. Well, yeah, that's why you're on my show. Awesome. <laughs> Daisy, that's why you're here. <laughs> okay, so this this shift that we're seeing towards a more cashless society, um, you know how everyone's out of coins suddenly. I don't right. know what happened to all the coins. Big magnet, I have no idea. But everybody's out of coins, and they want to put your change when you go to the grocery store back on a card. So that is just a very small little nudge toward a cashless society. You're not getting cash back when you pay cash in. Um, you know, your change is not coming back to you that way. You're not going to be able to get change at the bank. Um, as we become increasingly cashless, um, we're also seeing stores that aren't taking cash anymore. They only want to, their customers to use a debit card or a credit card. Um, if you're a cash person, which I am a cash person, um, you know, that limits the places that I can go to the store. So as this shift keeps happening, you're not going to be able to go to the bank and pull out cash because nobody takes cash because everybody only takes cards. No. So let's think about what starts happening, <clears throat> happening when there's no cash in play. Grandma and Grandpa give a... Uh, Johnny $20 for his birthday it has to be put on a gift card it can't just be handed to him in an envelope right. so that means Johnny's $20 is being tracked um, if somebody has a side gig mowing lawns after work because they're not making ends meet pretty soon they're not going to be able to get their 20 bucks from the person whose lawn they just mowed that's going to have to go into their paypal account or their bank account or some some kind of transfer and that means that 20 dollars is now 14 dollars because this person's going to have to pay tax on it and this means that you know once all of our money is is no longer cashable and no longer liquid that means we can lose access to our money very very easily if we don't toe the line so that's kind of the direction I could see it going. I'm not saying it necessarily will. Hopefully, I'm just crazy. But, you know, those two little examples really make you think. Yeah, we're, we're 15 miles north of civilization. And our nearest suburb in Phoenix is a community called Surprise. A little over 100,000 people. And they have now passed a regulation that you have to register and pay a fee to have a garage sale. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. And, wow. and to me, I think this speaks exactly to what you're talking about here. Yes. Yes. You won't be able to put stuff on Craigslist 
because, well, I mean, you can, but all of that's going to get tracked. And mm -hmm. let's just say you're selling a bunch of stuff because you're really in trouble financially. Um, you're going to be paying taxes on all of that. Yeah, after you've already paid tax on it once. Yeah. Um, and well, well, okay. Not just once. You've paid tax on it way more than that. You paid your payroll tax, and then you've paid your sales tax, and now they're going to tax you again on the same stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And the Democrats take over. Katie bar the door. There's no limit to what's going to happen in the Green New Deal. But uh, with regard to um, the bartering aspect, okay. So to me, they can reduce us down to the lowest common denominator. Uh, you know that is basically in primitive societies and that's bartering I'll give you two of these for three of those and there's never right. any transaction of, of, of money of any type right I mean that is going to be people's saving grace the ability to do that but here's my suspicious paranoid mind and just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you just remember exactly. that exactly <laughs> um, but when I look at this I could see them planting imposters and baiting people like they do drugs you know hey we're selling some drugs okay now you're under arrest now like the cops yep. do on the street I could see them doing that with trading and bartering as a way to try to eradicate it oh it could absolutely happen that's not far-fetched at all in my opinion so then this is I hate to use the term but some Christians would call this the mark of the beast they would they would um you know, I don't really know if if that is the case necessarily. It could be. I just see this as becoming increasingly restrictive. And I think that what we're going to have to do is make these negotiations with people we actually know. And, you know, that, again, we go back to producers and consumers. Um, do con know the producers? that the producers are going to trust them well enough to to uh, barter with them, assuming they have something that the producer wants. That makes a lot of sense. Like I, just, I see these circles getting smaller and smaller. So like in my community, you know, I know some people with a farm. They know me because I go buy food from them every single week. And we have a nice little talk and we talk about their bees and everything is great. So they know me. They will trust me because we've got this relationship already. But if things got bad and somebody else went to the same farmer and they didn't know them, they, they would probably say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have anything to spare. You know, my fear, and I think it's justified, these restrictions, if you don't toe the line, see, that's a broad, broad statement in between those parentheses of that word, our phrase, toe the line, does that mean you don't get to speak against anything that we like? You don't get to criticize public officials? Uh, you're not necessarily free to practice your religion? I mean, how do you see um, toe the line? What does that mean to you? Oh, man, that could go so many different directions. That could be vaccinations. That could be wearing a mask. That could be uh, getting blood work done and having your DNA on file. It could be a million different things. It could be anything. It, that is this ever-changing goalpost of whatever the government wants it to be. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something interesting, uh, DNA. You, I'm sure you're aware that in, in the past few years, there's been various agencies, most of them like in Florida, that when they do a traffic stop, they can take your DNA 
Um, yes. Uh, what is behind that? I've always wondered that, and maybe you have the answer. I don't have the answer. I mean, a few of the things I've just kind of thrown around is, you know, just some kind of identifi identification database. That's really all I've got with that. Well, with the tools they have, they can find you wherever you're at anyway. True. Very true. Very true. Um, our surveillance grid is just absolutely massive and it's growing by leaps and bounds. You know, there's an aspect of the surveillance grid we never talk about, and I've got a very good friend, ex-NSA, and he's gone public, and he comes on my show a lot. And, and uh, I know from others, too, that he's correct, that we have satellites in space that can hone in on you. They can lift your fingerprints through a rainstorm from orbit. Uh, they can do retinal scan on you from orbit. They can track you if you're dumb enough to carry your cell phone if you're on the run. Of course, that makes it really easy. Um, yep. I don't know if you were aware of this... Uh, uh, or, orbital surveillance system that they have. I'm not familiar with that, no. Yeah, uh, it's something that doesn't get discussed much unless you happen to know a few people like me. My dad had an intelligence background and that led me to other intelligence people. Uh, and so that network's kind of expanded. And, and listen, I'm really consistent with what I'm telling you. Uh, I've heard this from so many people, even active agents. They go, yeah, we're not supposed to talk about that, but that's true. And uh, yeah. uh, But you're right about locally. The social credit system, I think, is probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I, I'm doomed once that comes into play. I really am. Yeah, we are. I advise people now to get a good VPN, and maybe that'll help. Maybe it won't, but it's too late for you and me. Oh, yeah. We're, we're already toast, but you know what? That's okay, because I think we're helping a lot of people. That's kind of how I see it, too. I mean, I, I chose this path. I don't know if you know how I got into this. Yeah, um, I would love to hear it. I was just a happy-go-lucky. Uh, I was teaching psychology at a college and a university uh, and a high school college credits to kids, and I was three different places. I was a college basketball coach. And uh, we moved into what was one day going to be our retirement home. And this was 17 years ago. And um, about six months after moving in, uh, we found out that uh, McCain and his banker friends that were behind the Central American Free Trade Agreement wanted to build a super Canamex highway through our area and get access to our underground water to support their hub of development. And we sit on the state's largest water ground, uh, underground water aquifer and uh, they tried to tell us we were too close to an Air Force base. It was 30 miles away. We knew that wasn't it. And then we found these maps and we go, oh, oh yeah, and there's four areas in the state that are under the same restrictions. And I ran the odds. I, I taught stat uh, at that time. and I put all the variables on my stat program, 65 million to one of this being due to chance. And I go, okay. So our community organized and they made me the spokesperson. They said, you get to go on the radio shows and you'll do the interviews with the media, which was largely hostile to us. And, uh, and so one day a guy offered me a radio show. He said, you need to be on the radio. So that's how I got started. I was thrown into this. So you talk about we're helping people. I, I really never would have done this. I would still be coaching college basketball. I'd still be you know teaching my classes, which I'm not any longer. And mm -hmm. instead I'm doing this full time and, and losing revenue because YouTube demonetizes me for my freedom of speech in which I threaten nobody. Um, right. But uh, that's how I got involved in this. And, and so I put a bullseye on my back where I wouldn't have had a bullseye on my back is what I'm saying. Yeah, I um, started out just 
um, writing things out so that I could understand them better. It was just the way I've always analyzed things. Mm -hmm. And someone said, oh, you should you should put this online. And so I did. And then I, I got hired by the Daily Sheeple and I worked there for a few years. And, you know, it was all <laughs> all either downhill or uphill, whichever way you want to look at it from there. Yeah, I know. But uh, your site's well visited, I know, because I know a lot of people that go there regularly. And they'll, they'll reference a lot of your work and Selko's work. I've referenced Selko with regard to Bosnia in 1992 because I've said, if we're not careful, this is where we're headed. Because in Aurora, Colorado, when they had uh, BLM and Antifa block I-225, I grew up three miles from there. My sister now lives four miles from there. My niece, probably about six miles. So I know the area like the back of my hand. And, and I talked to some of the Aurora police officers that were there, and they were made to stand down. And they told me they had they spotted um, teams of snipers on tall buildings on that same corridor, but they weren't active. In other words, it's like they were rehearsing. Isn't that Bosnia? Wow. 19, that's Bosnia in 1992, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, it's pretty crazy. When I went to visit Selco, um, he took me around and we went to some different places like where he had been under siege and I think the thing that was the craziest is he took me up in the mountains where the snipers were perched around the city and then was pointing out different places in the city to me and he was like now you can see why people couldn't go to the river to get to get water because there's this beautiful fresh clean river you know in that area and so then he took me down into the city and he said you could stand here and you would be okay but if you took one step over there you were within range of the snipers and it was just the most shocking eye-opening thing in the world you can listen I mean you can read his articles all day long but when you stand there and you see what he's talking about it it's so different than just reading it what was the motive in his mind why snipers were employed why were they killing people um, demoralization it was genocide mm -hmm. like it was just to kill people and scare them so you know if you didn't get killed you'd be terrified into submission um Boy, you just sent chills down my spine because what I told you about Aurora and the people on the roof, the mm -hmm. same thing happened in Austin. And I've got triple sourced on this um, with other people who've been told the same thing by Austin Police Department. They put the drones over these people on the buildings and they concluded what they did in Aurora, that this was a training exercise. This is what they were surmising. But if they're training, they're someday going to do it. And there we go, we're back to 1992 again, and is this the society we're going to live in? And um, some people are saying if Trump wins the election, this comes directly from a DHS guy I know, and he's in a senior position. He said if Trump wins the election, they're expecting this kind of violence. They're training for it. Right. Well, you know, my daughter and I were on a road trip um, when all of this BLM stuff broke out. And we had stopped in a city in Virginia, and we're spending the night there and there were protests going on and we had gone to Walmart to go pick some things up like some some snacks and stuff like that and I pulled into the parking lot and there were protesters in the parking lot and then I saw gunmen on the roof like police officer gunmen on the roof of Walmart in Virginia and I said uh-uh 
<laughs> we'll just go to the gas station and get something unhealthy. We are not going any place that has snipers on the roof of Walmart. We're just not going. Well. And, I mean, they weren't aiming at anybody or anything like that, but they were up there, and you could see their rifles. And I'm not going. I'm not putting myself anywhere near that. It's a just, I just can't believe how we've de-evolved to this right. point. I mean, and when we have so snipers that do this kind of thing, it's major news because it's so rare. Yeah. It's just happening so fast now. Well, it's because it's orchestrated. It's it's not an evolutionary process where oh, a, a leads to B. This was the game plan all along. Um, of course not. This is crazy. So, and you're telling, let's just take this dire time we live in. Okay, so give me kind of a panoramic picture of what ideal preparation looks like. Uh, learning to produce. And it doesn't even matter what you produce as long as it's something that somebody else is going to need. I mean, that you can sum anything up with be a producer, not a consumer. Like, whether you're building houses, whether you're repairing stuff, whether you're providing medical care, you just have to have something that other people need that you can continue to recreate. So it can't just be selling the furniture in your house because you're going to run out of furniture. Exactly. You have to be able to produce Besides carpentry, construction skills, um, uh, sewing, making fabric, fabric, mending, repairing. Um, I mean, think about the things that you use every single day in your home. You use your furniture, you cook in your kitchen, and you use like your cast iron skillet, and you know, just various things like that. So you're going to have to have a way to cook. And if somebody else can create a way for you to cook, then, hey, they've got something that you're going to want. Hmm. Um, I'm racking my brain about what I would do. Uh, there's no method. There's nothing for me. I'm a teacher, coach, and now an information giver by trade. Um. <laughs> but you know what? I... I hope I'm not incorrect in the thinking that information is still going to be of value. People are going to want information. You just have to figure out a way to make your information valuable enough to get something in return for it. Yeah, I'm actually studying for the uh, uh, shortwave test. Oh, um, that's great. Because I'm practicing for when the Internet's taken away from us, and it will be at some point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, e even if Trump gets into a second term... Even if he survives, even if all these things, his his you know his reign ends in four years. <coughs> that's a, that's our outside longevity, I think, in terms of what we do. And I think yeah. short-term longevity. I think a lot of us are going to get our sights pulled uh, between now and the election. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, I, I, it just. It's crazy. How much food do you advise people to store? Well, kind of depends on your situation. Um, if you live in a place where you can produce food, like you've got an acre, a few acres or whatever, then you can get away with storing a little bit less than if you live in a city apartment. 
you live in a city apartment, you're not going to be able to produce very much. So you're going to have to store that. So I think that's a sliding scale, really. I think it depends on your personal situation and how much you can get out of where you live. You know, I know people who are such excellent gardeners that they could have a tiny city lot and probably produce plenty of food for themselves. I know other people that could have five acres and, you know, be able to make a couple omelets and that's about it. Yeah. Do you recommend chickens? Oh, I love chickens. They're the best. And they're really easy. They're pretty easy to deal with. Yeah, my neighbor's a bit of a survivalist more than I am and he has chickens. I'll tell you the thing I like about chickens, and it's kind of dumb. I just like to watch chickens. They're the funniest things. When they run and they see you coming, they're so excited, and they're just, like, hoofing it over to you. I just really like chickens. I find them very peaceful. And I um, I don't have chickens right now because I'm in a city, but when I did have chickens, I would just sit out there in the chicken coop sometimes and hang out with them because it was so much more peaceful. The chickens are easy to raise, um, and they can be raised in the city if you have a little bit of space and you live in a place where it's allowed, you know, without getting you into all sorts of trouble. Um, if, if you've got like three hens, you're gonna be able to at least give your family some eggs through part of the year. I mean, they're not always laying, but I think three is the limit in some cities, but that would at least get you, you know, breakfast a few days a week. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you address the city because a lot of people are ignoring prep for the cities. They People, when they give advice for preparation, they talk about you have unlimited land and so forth and so on. and. And that's nice for people like me. I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere and I'm on an acre and a half. So I've got enough room to do some things. I mean, don't take my prepper card. I'm a city girl. I love the city. I love being in the city where I can walk everywhere Mm -hmm. and I don't need to have a car. I mean, I like having a car, but, you know, I I like that kind of lifestyle. Um, And you can do it pretty reasonably priced if if you try hard. But more Americans live in the city or suburbs than live in the country. So that's a very, very important thing to address. And it should not be overlooked because we've got to figure out solutions too. What about something like aquaponics? Um, Aquaponics is pretty good. It's um, if you've got it indoors, you're going to have a lot of smell from the fish um and that's going to be that's going to be kind of unpleasant so it really depends on what your setup looks like i would probably rather have a greenhouse myself and Mm. you know some chickens in a greenhouse and that kind of thing but you just got to focus on what you personally can do me saying if i if it was an ideal world i'd have a an $1,100 greenhouse is all well and good, but I don't have $1,100 for a greenhouse. So I have to figure out what I can grow on my balcony and what I can grow in my kitchen window and how what seeds I can sprout. And I have to do things like that. And I have to figure out who I can trade with and what I can trade for. Yeah, see, chickens, if you could do that, um, you can't do it if you're in an apartment. Well, let's go there. No. What would you briefly tell people about what their options are in an apartment? For livestock? I mean, it's pretty limited. Yeah. I, I know in South America, um, I can't remember what they call it there, people eat guinea pigs, and those could easily, easily be bred and raised in an apartment. Rabbits are also easy and quiet. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if I had rabbits, I'd rather have them like on a balcony. Okay. So besides rabbit stew and guinea pig pork chops, what would, <laughs> what would you what would you tell people in an apartment? What are their other options? I mean, poultry would be pretty rough because sure. their their mess really smells bad. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't have any place to to deal with that. Um, you know, you're going to have to stock up a lot. Um, sprouting is remarkable. If you don't know how to sprout, that is something you should really do because you can have microgreens in just in less than a week. Okay, and that can be done in an apartment, you think? Oh, yeah. You just have a mason jar and a little bit of a warm room, and you're good. You should practice, though, because you don't want to waste your seeds if you don't do it right, if you're not you know, rinsing things and flipping things over like they're supposed to be. Um, you're going to get mold on your sprouts, and then you can't eat them. Sure. So, you know, you want to get that stuff, you want to practice, you want to learn what you're doing before you're depending on that to not get scurvy. Is there a, um, a shortage of seeds? Uh, I don't know. I, I have certainly heard things to that effect. I don't have enough evidence to say for sure that that's the case. I know as far as sprouting goes, I don't know these people, but I get all of my stuff from sproutpeople.org. I'm taking notes. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good idea. Yeah. The last time I visited, they... Um, they did not have anything else to sell. Oh, not but good. They've got good information, so maybe you can get your stuff somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. What would you tell someone like me briefly besides chickens on my acre and a half? We do have a pretty good garden. Yeah, uh, I would say a garden. I would say any kind of permaculture that you could put in, anything that's just going to produce for you year after year, especially like, I mean, we're not, we're pretty close to the same age here. Um, you know, I don't want to be lugging 75-pound bags of seeds when I'm 75. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be, um, you know, shoveling manure when I'm that age. I, I want to have some permaculture in place where I've just got, you know, a few hens and I've got my apple trees and i got some stuff like that. I would really, really say permaculture would be your number one thing to put in. Okay, that, that's good advice. Well, before we close... Tell us how we can follow your good work. Uh, my website is theorganicprepper.com, and I also have a new website called thefrugalite.com. How do you spell that? F-R-U-G-A-L-I-T-E.com. Okay. All right. And that is just all about frugal living and, you know, just some of the various things that I've done to save money over the years. I was a single mom, and I raised two little girls, and got them both through school without debt so those that frugality stuff works pretty well yeah that's true um so those are the best places to find me i don't hang out i i'm on facebook you can send me a friend request but i don't really hang out no, on either. social media yeah. um you know i i have a facebook group that is really busy it's called getting started prep club for beginners terrific well we've <laughs> You don't disappoint, and I think what we've done today is we've raised more questions than we've answered. So I would encourage everyone to go to these websites, frugalite.com and theorganicprepper.com, and follow Daisy's good work. Daisy, as usual, you have exceeded my expectations. Thanks for a great interview. Thank you so much. It was delightful to be here. Okay, take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.